Welcome everybody to Beauty IQ, the podcast. I'm your host, Joanna Fleming. And I am your co-host, Hannah First. We figured since we've got a bit of spare time on our hands, we'd interview some of our fave celebs and influential figures in the beauty industry and share those interviews with you. Don't forget to subscribe to be notified when a bonus episode drops. So today's guest joining us is Michelle Battersby. Michelle has worked in high-performance roles for Bumble and Keep It Cleaner, and she's now embarking on a new female-led business venture, which we'll definitely hear more about. She's also an ambassador for Purology, uh, so we're looking forward to a bit of beauty chat as well. Welcome to the podcast, Michelle. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No, we're very excited to mix uh, business and beauty. We don't do that very often, so it's nice to chat to a, a very successful businesswoman, but you're really young, like to be (laughs) as successful as you are. Does everybody tell you that you're like very young to be where you're at now? I'm actually so happy to hear you say that because (laughs) I am having a little bit of a personal, actually, I'm going to challenge myself on this. It's my 30th birthday next weekend. So I feel like when you're 29 and you're about to turn 30, you're kind of waiting for all that wisdom to kick in because you hear all the rumors (laughs) that in your 30s, you stop caring and you're just really sure of yourself and you seem to have it all figured out. So I can't wait for that switch to just happen on the weekend. That does not happen in my experience. (laughs) I am 32 and I don't know what the I'm doing. So I don't think it gets any clearer. I was starting to think he's turning 30 like what everyone thought was going to happen with COVID when the new year kicked Mm. in and it was 2021 and all of a sudden all our problems vanished but really nothing changed. I've been beginning to think that turning 30 might be a bit like that. So I'm glad we can talk about my age because I'd love to just get it out there a little bit more that I currently still am 29. (laughs) (laughs) we can facilitate that so you haven't taken the most direct path to what you're doing now having started out in HR and you weren't you know working in traditional kind of marketing roles but I read an interview where you said you got to a point prior to working for Bumble where you just weren't really sure where you were going to go next so how did you end up becoming one of the most coveted female marketing experts in Australia that's such a compliment I never intended on that happening and I don't know if that really has happened but if it has I think part of it is not pursuing that actually pursuing the things that bring you joy and that get you out of bed every day and that you can personally align yourself with I don't think I would have had the courage or confidence to have taken the role at Bumble if I had known it was going to be that big. I think naivety is power at times and that's certainly what led me into that role and it ended up changing my life and was the best thing I'd ever done. But I definitely was very lost prior to that opportunity coming around. I remember feeling as though I was capable of something more. I I just had a strong gut feeling I was capable of something more, but I did not know what that something was. So I think if you're ever in a position where you're unsure, that's totally fine. I've had moments of uncertainty since Bumble as well. And I think it's about actually listening to that and accepting that and then taking every conversation or opportunity that comes your way, which could help you work out what that next thing is. So I would just say, don't, like you're, you're never stuck 
there's always other options and it's just about looking for those options. Yeah. Mm. And what was the day-to-day like at Bumble? I'm interested to know, like, how did that role start out? Because you kind of like launched the whole thing into Australia. (laughs) Yeah. So it started out in my bedroom. I was the first employee at Bumble in Australia. I was pretty early on. I don't remember what number, but I was somewhere in the the first 10 employees at Bumble globally. So it was a very different... Yeah, it was a very different time. And the first people that I asked to work with me on Bumble actually said no. So that shows you a little bit about what the awareness was like and I guess the strength of the brand at that time. But it was super scrappy and that's actually what I love. That's why I keep working in startups because I I like the scrappiness and I like the pace. But I also think that those positions in startups are jack-of-all-trade type roles. You have to be Mm. willing to get your hands dirty. You have to be willing to do a lot. No task is beneath you and you really have to to get stuck in. So the day-to-day could vary from packing gift bags or unpacking enormous quantities of merchandise and things like that (laughs) to working on huge partnerships and deals like the Glass Ceiling Awards or the Melbourne Cup or Splendour in the Grass, but it was the best job uh, ever. It was so fun and it was moving so quickly and it was really making a difference and it was a relevant, important conversation to be having. So that just made it all the more enjoyable. And um, Joe and I actually, I know it's a beauty podcast, but we say this podcast is like 10% dating because we're both single and we're both <laughs> on dating apps and we both just laugh at, at some of the stuff that we see. Um, how do you think dating apps have actually changed the dating landscape? Because you were right in there. Yeah, I think it definitely comes down to opportunity. It's just made connecting accessible. I think that it's important to be able to meet people outside of your immediate sphere or where you grew up or where you went to school and who wouldn't want to give themselves the chance to meet someone that they ordinarily may not have ever come across. But I think whilst I obviously advocate for Bumble and think that Bumble is incredible, I think Hinge is a great example of also the way that they built that product and something that I really admire that Lucy, one of the Sunroom co-founders, played a a role in was how you build intimacy online. And I think that's Mm. something you would notice using Hinge is the way that they probe and push people to start a conversation and build out their profiles. That is a lesson in how to facilitate intimacy digitally. Mm, That's Mm -hmm. a really interesting perspective. I like it. I think there's positives and negatives to dating apps because the negative is that literally no one speaks to you in real life anymore. (laughs) And the positive is that you can just, you know, swipe on your couch and you don't really need to go out all the time if you don't Mm. want to. Kind of makes dating easier in a way, but also harder in a way. Good for homebodies like you, Joe. You don't have to leave your house. Yeah. I don't (laughs) have to go anywhere. It's great. I've actually been following your journey on the socials from like Bumble all the way to Kick and now Sunroom. Can we hear a little bit about the new venture? Okay, so I can't actually say that much, but I'll talk high level a a little bit about it. So 
I've co-founded Sunroom with two women, one of them being Lucy Mort and she's ex-Hinge. The other is Ellie Day and she's ex-Atlassian and was a senior software engineer at Atlassian. So the three of us came together at the end of last year, all really interested in building products for women and specifically we were very interested in the creator economy and the passion economy and a lot of the changes happening in that industry that I think have been led by OnlyFans and Patreon. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm having an internal conversation with myself as I say all of this, thinking, when am I going to stop? How much am I going to share? So, so sorry if I'm <laughs> taking you taking you down an interesting path. I'm just trying to tread carefully as to not ruin any media exclusive that we've got. But I think it is very important, and I feel privileged to be able to talk about what I'm doing so early on because I think it's important to show that you don't necessarily have all your ducks in a row and things change, and that's just the nature of the startup. But we have been researching the creator space and that's where Sunroom fits in. It will be a product for creators. It will help push women uh, in particular to financial independence and it's, yeah, it's got a bit of connection waved into it. And Sounds like it was created for us, Joe. Yeah, I know. I'm into this yeah. so far. I'm into this too. <laughs> Sign me up. You know what? It's actually... It's great for, it'll be great for the beauty space We whilst we're on a beauty podcast. I think that there's so much informative, worthy content out there that people probably should be paying for. A space just hasn't really existed for it yet that is as sophisticated as the one we're building. And now I've probably given away too much info, so we can stop there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm looking forward to seeing how it unfolds. I know. And are you, did you say that you were moving to the US? Yeah, I'm moving in four weeks. So I've actually never met my two co-founders in real life because we founded this at the end of last year. So COVID and they're both already in the States. So we did the whole thing virtually. We raised capital virtually, decided, I I guess, what our product market fit or what we think our product market fit is and started hiring and yeah, it's a very 2020 founding business story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where are you planning on being based in the US? So Sunroom will be based in Venice, we think. And I'll also be living in Venice because very conveniently my partner, his job also took him to LA. Wow. So he'll be based there for the next couple of years. Great. Um, So I wanted to ask, what advice do you have for women who might be a bit unsure about their career path and maybe, you know, wanting to take a drastic change and take a different course with their career? Do you have any advice for people in that position? As you said, like nothing's holding you back from making a big decision, like, you know, leaving an amazing job or going down a different path. Yeah. I feel like if you're, if you're not feeling it, the first step is definitely admitting that within yourself, which honestly can be a very hard thing to do because that can be a really scary realization where you know you're going to have to make some big decisions and you're going to have to put a plan in place to figure some stuff out. And sometimes that can be daunting. So I think even allowing yourself to realize that something's 
not what you'd hoped or not what you love or whatever it may be, it's an accomplishment to even get to that step and accept it. I I do believe it's then fear that tends to hold people back from Mm. then actually putting those plans into action. And I think that certainly something that I've always told myself is if the only reason for you not doing something is fear, then that's just simply not a good enough reason to not do it. So with my role at Bumble, there was a moment where I was not going to do that. And it was 100% fear that was going to stop me from doing it. And with Sunroom, I've actually never toyed on the line of that fear for so long. Sunroom was actually not a very easy decision for me to make. And most of the big career decisions I'd made so far were very easy. Even with Bumble, it was feeling scared for two days and then getting over it. But with Sunroom, I did feel scared for much longer than I than I had before. And it took me quite a while to decide if it was going to be the right thing for me. And now that I'm here, I can't believe I ever doubted it. If I had given up this opportunity, it would have been the biggest mistake I would have made to date in my life. And I would have 100% regretted it. So I think you have to really work through that fear and acknowledge that that's all it is. And then just take the scary path because it's never as bad as what you think. Mm, That's really good advice. So we also hear you're quite the beauty junkie, but we're skincare addicts on this podcast and we want to know, like, what is in your skincare routine? I became so obsessed with skincare when I was in lockdown in Melbourne. I think that it just changed my appreciation for skincare. And so it's definitely become a bit of a nightly ritual for me. I've also recently got very into facials, which you'll probably judge me on because you'll be thinking everyone should be into facials and there's something that you <laughs> that you should always do. So I've started going for monthly facials at Bellamere's, which for anyone in Sydney is amazing. But in terms of what's in my day-to-day skincare, I am also very obsessed with a double cleanse and I know that's not a new thing either. But as soon as I actually started doing it more proactively, I feel like it cleared my skin up so much because you just don't realize how much crap probably gets Mm. stuck to your face. I don't know what the technical term is, (laughs) but throughout the day. So I'm really into a double cleanse and that's just washing the day off for me. And I'm not, I'm not too stuck on a certain kind of cleanser, but I absolutely love a good vitamin C. So I use the La Roche-Posay. I can never say that correctly every day. I love a hyaluronic acid as well for anyone who I think even if you have a lazy skincare routine, a hyaluronic acid is something that you 100% should be using because I noticed it make the biggest difference for me. So I love the ordinary hyaluronic acid and it's so cheap. I think it's like $13 or something Mm. like that. I love Clinique Moisture Search. I feel as though every time I put it on my face, it's like your skin is drinking it. That's such a strange thing to say, but that's actually how it feels. And then whenever I'm feeling fancy, I love Estee Lauder Advanced Night Repair. And so mm. I will will use that and I feel as though it's like you've had a 12 hours really good sleep when you wake up. Yeah, I really do like Advanced Night Repair as well. I can definitely relate to that feeling of waking up with like it's almost like a little bit of dumpling skin. Mm. It looks a little bit like it looks, you know, plump, like you just want to 
you know, bounce off it. But you were going to say you just want to eat it because it was a dumpling. Yeah, that too. (laughs) That too. I didn't know where that was going. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So let's touch on hair because you're working with Purology as an ambassador at the moment. One of my favorite products of theirs is the Color Fanatic Spray. I use that every time I wash my hair. Can you tell us what you're using from the range and why you decided to take an ambassador role with them? Yeah, so I'd never, I've actually never done any other ambassador roles. So I feel as though that says how much I love Purology. I don't tend to do those kinds of things. And if I was ever to do it, it would only ever be with a brand that stands for something and has a purpose as well, because that's what I those are the kinds of brands I like to work for as employment. Mm. So that's why I was really interested in Purology when they told me about their beauty with meaning campaign. I just thought it sounded amazing. All their products being um, vegan and animal cruelty free. They also just smell incredible. They smell like the purest of ingredients. So my favorite products would have to be the um, Beach Waves Sugar Spray that Mm -hmm. has just changed the way I style my hair and it makes styling your hair so easy. It doesn't make it too gritty. It's just the right amount of texture. You can scrunch your hair and it looks like you've spent an hour at the hairdresser, genuinely. And then the dry shampoo just saves my life. It it actually is the best dry shampoo I've ever used because it doesn't leave the residue hanging around and it enhances your colour in some magical way. So I would say that the dry shampoo is a no-brainer and something everyone needs. Mm -hmm. So is that going to be one of your three beauty products I'm about to ask you about? Um, Because you can only keep three beauty products in your handbag. Yep. What are they? Yeah, the Purology dry (laughs) shampoo absolutely is one of them and it's in my handbag as we speak. Then I I wonder if everyone says this or if it's just me, but I just can't live without Paw Paw. Just a good good lip balm I think is an absolute necessity. And then recently I've discovered exactly how much you can do with like a liquid blush. At the moment, Mm. I'm using a little stiller one Mm. that you can use on your eyelids. It's like an eyeshadow, your lips and your cheeks. And I feel as though once you put blush on, you just look a little bit more alive. Totally. You absolutely do. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, just to finish off on, um, we'd love to hear, I guess, any lessons that you can leave with the audience, whether it's starting a business, leaving a job or applying for their dream role. I feel like I've probably touched on the most important things I think but I do genuinely believe it's so important to keep an open mind and to not let opportunities pass you by and I think when you're young I feel as though our generation probably grew up with parents or people around us that had stayed in the same job for 20 or so years and that's what that's what you view as being normal and I I used to work in HR I've, I've heard it and I've witnessed it you know don't jump around make sure you stay somewhere for like one to three years or something but no one would tell you to stay in an unhappy relationship just to see it through. And Mm, I feel like that's a lot like your career. And if you've got other things coming your way, or if you feel as though you've achieved all you can somewhere, or if something's just not fueling you anymore, start looking and don't get complacent and then back yourself when opportunities find themselves to you. 
I also think that one important thing to remember when you're young as well, especially if you're fresh out of uni or something like that, is no one expects you to know what you're doing because you literally mm. have no idea what you're doing. No matter how good, <laughs> no matter how good you think you are coming out of uni or how much you think you know, which we've all been there, we've all been young and, you know, thought that we're just maybe on top of the world or uh, or then maybe you do leave university and you're in kind of a different realm entering the workforce and perhaps that's when that first those first bits of self-doubt come in literally no one expects you to have it figured out and you're being hired on potential so if someone mm. is coming to you with something or someone's encouraging you to do something that's because they see the potential in you so just believe in your own potential mm. and for anyone that is coming out of maybe high school and wanting to kind of figure out what they're going to do uni-wise, you studied a degree that doesn't exactly relate to what you're doing now in a direct sense, which Hannah and I can definitely relate to. We don't do we do not do something that aligns directly to what we studied. Finance. <laughs> yeah. And here we are talking about our bum holes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any advice for those people that are just like, what am I going to study? Like, where am I going to work? What am I going to do? I have no idea. I've, I just can't think of anything that I would want to do the rest of my life. Yeah, I also had no idea. I actually wanted to be a paramedic when I was in school and was going to go to Bathurst Uni because they had a paramedics degree or something there and then I ended up wanting to continue rowing which meant I had to stay in Sydney so I went to the University of Sydney and I had no idea what I was going to do so I just picked the most broad degree I could. I also picked the degree with the lowest UAI mark required because (laughs) I was not very smart. So I ended up doing a Bachelor of Arts and Science actually and then I transferred into a Bachelor of Arts. I don't even know why I did that and if I'd known it was going to add more to my hex bill, I probably wouldn't have done that at the time. (laughs) But I was basically looking for ways to broaden my options as much as possible. So after the arts degree, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. So it was my dad who encouraged me to do HR because I had good social skills and was good with people. And HR is all about human capital and and managing the employees. So I ended up doing a master's degree in industrial relations in HR. And that helped me find the first thing that really interested me. And then that wore out after four years and I I had this career change. So I think it's totally fine if you're if you're not sure, just keep your options open and just get the ball rolling. Like every step I've ever taken has just been to open up more opportunity. Like picking the lowest UAI mark, that's because I knew university could lead me somewhere else. So just get your foot in the door and get into university. Mm. Then do a master's degree. That'll help you specialize in something get an internship. That'll help put something on your resume. Go work for a big global bank. That will make you look like you might know what you're doing. (laughs) Even though though you don't, it's just great to get that kind of experience and just keep taking steps that could lead to more. Mm. I've never told you this, Joe. My first grad job, I was in consulting and I turned up at Australia Post and I was like reporting to like the head of strategy and I was like 21. No idea. And she goes, oh, can you do a headcount baseline? And I go, yeah, sure. And I went back to my desk and I Googled what's a headcount baseline. (laughs) 
and, and nothing came up and I was like, what the hell am I going to do? Yeah. Oh, it just reminded me how scary that is, like going out into the world for the first time. I still Google stuff every single day, <laughs> especially with having now having a VC-funded business when we mm. first started doing going through the process of raising capital and all of these things I'd never been exposed to before I couldn't understand half of the terminology being used. Mm. So I was just Googling absolutely everything and I would say I probably Google something once a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that whole <laughs> process would definitely be fairly new for you. Yeah, yeah. But you just you just figure it out and there are so many people willing to help you. I think mm-hmm. that no, no one got where they are by themselves, you know. I mm-hmm. am constantly asking people for help, constantly asking for advice. Yeah, it, it's really important as well to have people around you that you can ask the dumb questions to as well. Mm. Not not all the people that you're trying to impress or you might be a little bit scared to admit how much you don't know because I think we've all had those situations before where you don't want to admit how much you don't know. So when you're in those situations go to the people that already know how much you don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today, Michelle. It's been so nice to chat beauty and business and we can't wait to find more out about Sunroom. All the best with the move to the US. Thank you. Uh, We're going to be the first people to sign up to Sunroom. So please shoot through the details when you can. (laughs) You you absolutely can sign up. Would love you to sign up when we launch. We need as many (laughs) members as possible. Thanks everyone for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends. It helps other people to discover us. And also we really want to know what you thought about this podcast. So if you can leave us a review, that would be much appreciated. Bye.